God bless you. Turn in your Bibles, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16 within God's Word this morning. Luke chapter 16 as we continue to teach and to preach through the Gospel of Luke. We're back on schedule again. And uh, if you did not receive a sermon study guide where you fill in the blanks following along with me, lift up your hand, and again, the ushers will assist you and minister to you. The reason I do this is because I believe that preaching should also be teaching. I do not believe that preaching should be merely entertaining or inspirational, but that you should grow, you should learn. And, and I find these... Uh, uh, you might laugh at them, and I have some that do, but uh, that you're able to follow along and retain uh, the nugget that the Lord has placed upon your pastor's heart this morning. Three men arrived in heaven. A teacher, a garbage collector, and a lawyer. St. Pete greeted them at the pearly gates, and St. Peter said, before you enter into heaven, you have to answer at least one question and get it right. Here's the question. He posed it to the teacher. What was the name of the ship that collided with an iceberg, and they just made a movie out of it? You don't have to answer it. The teacher did. The teacher said the Titanic St. Peter said, come on in. You answered correctly. He looked at the garbage collector and he thought, I don't want heaven to smell all up. So St. Peter gave him this question. Here's the question. How many passengers died in that terrible Titanic tragedy? Well, the garbage collector had just seen the movie, and he correctly answered, 1,228. St. Peter said, come on in. He looked at the lawyer, reviewed the lawyer, and said, okay, name every one of those passengers. <laughs> I pray there's no lawyers here this morning. <laughs> if there is, we love you. <laughs> it's St. Pete we were talking about. Luke chapter 16, verse 19, Jesus unveils eternity for us. Read with me, beginning in verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Verse 22. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. He got a burial. Verse 23. In Hades. Hades is the Greek word that's translated what? Hell where he, the rich man, was in torment. He looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Now, many don't understand what this is all about. 
some Bibles would say Abraham's bosom, that Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. Here, in the New International Version, to Abraham's side. This was a code word. This was uh, the Jews in the Old Testament understood this correctly. Uh, this is the destination of all Old Testament believers. Abraham's bosom, Abraham's side, which was paradise. We would call it heaven. Back then, before Jesus resurrected from the dead, paradise and hell were side by side separated by a chasm, a gulf. After the resurrection of Jesus, the Bible states that Jesus took paradise up into heaven. Today, if you were to die and be with the Lord, to be absent from the body, the Bible teaches, is to be present with the Lord where? In heaven, in paradise. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, this day you will be with me in paradise in heaven yes back in that day and time when you ate at a banquet did you sit in a chair if you ate at a banquet no in that day and time you would recline on your side on a couch and eat the food you would recline on your right side or left side excuse me and eat with your right hand here we have pictured Lazarus is no longer begging. He is at a banquet table. He's reclining on his left side. He is laying alongside of Abraham, the father of the Jews, the father of the faithful. He's enjoying paradise. The rich man is in torment. Lazarus is being comforted. Let's continue. The rich man in verse 24 called to Abraham, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. The rich man answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, the rich man said, If someone from the dead, imagine this, if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, in other words, if they do not listen to the preaching of God's Word, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the... And that's why you've heard of the famous cable TV series. Well, I have changed it slightly. According to Luke 16, and the title of this message this morning is The Talking Dead. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray, come, Holy Spirit. Grant us, O Lord, ears to hear and hearts to receive what God 
is saying in this moment to our eternal lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. And everyone would say, Amen. Fill in the blank with me if you would. The rich man and Lazarus, they both lived very, very different lives. Lives of contrast. Yet at the end of their days, they shared one common experience. What was it? Death. Death. You heard about the old pastor that was dying. And his final last request, this dying pastor, was to have an IRS agent and a lawyer. I don't have anything against lawyers. It's just, it's just, it's, it's just coming out this way. This dying pastor wanted to have an IRS agent and a lawyer at his deathbed in his closing moments. IRS agent shows up and asks the lawyer, what are we doing here? The lawyer says, I don't have the foggiest idea. I don't know the man. So they asked the pastor as they stood on either side of his bed, why did you call for us? The old dying pastor said, I want to die like Jesus. I want to die between two thieves. <laughs> Death. Death. You might not want me to talk about it. You might not want to think about it. But death whispers in every one of our ears, I am coming. I am coming. Even the young people have movies now called Final Destination. I am coming. I am coming. Doesn't matter if you're rich. Doesn't matter if you're poor. Doesn't matter if you're famous or you're a nobody. Doesn't matter if you're a Hollywood star or an ordinary Joe. Death says, I'm coming. I'm coming. Do you and I have any hope in confronting the death stalker who has stalked humanity for eons of time. Do we have any hope as a people? Oh, on the island of Patmos, that Alcatraz for the Roman Empire, John, John who could have easily thought that all hope was lost, John in Revelation chapter 1 had a powerful vision in his darkest moment. This is what John saw in Revelation chapter 1. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. Hallelujah. Jesus has conquered death. Oh, come on, church. Get a little happier than that. Because He lives. You and I can really live. Amen. All fear is gone. Jesus took care of it at the cross and the resurrection. Satan doesn't care if you believe in a Savior that's died for you. But a resurrected Jesus gives him nightmares and keeps him up at night. Jesus has all authority over death. Because He lives, you and I can really live in the here and now and in the hereafter. But write it down. Death is not the end. Death is merely a transition to our final destination. Our final destination is eternity. 
from the moment you were born. Trillions of cells in your body began a journey. Think of it. Every step that you take, every breath that you breathe, every beat of your heart takes you much closer, that much closer to your date with eternity. That date cannot be nullified. It cannot be negotiated. It cannot be negated. It is certain. More certain than anything in this life other than God. Death. Death. This is where we find the rich man and Lazarus in eternity. You know, I have a hard time with preachers Speakers that don't give good eye contact. There's so many times at the end of a sermon, I'll have people come to me and say, why were you looking at me throughout the whole time you were preaching? I look at everybody. I try to at least. Some of you that sit in the back row up in the balcony, I know you're trying to challenge me, but I, I really try to give you eye contact up there too. As I'm looking into eyes, even right now, I'm looking into the, your soul. Eyes are windows of the soul. I am looking at souls. Barring the rapture. Well, really, not even barring the rapture. In the next 100 years, every soul that I'm looking at right now will be in eternity. I don't care how young you are, but in 100 years. You're going to be in eternity. The question is this. What eternity? Where will be your eternal destination, your eternal habitation? What eternity? I remind you, there's only two eternal destinations or habitations. There's only two abodes of eternity. What are those? Heaven and hell. We have any old rockers? Here in the church this morning. Uh, yeah, I knew uh, my praise team, my most holy people. I knew they'd raise their hand. Okay. 1969. I know that you girls were just, you're far too young to remember that. 1969, blood, sweat, and tears. The song, And When I Die. In the middle of that song, we hear these lyrics. Swear there ain't no heaven, and I pray there ain't no hell. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but uh, listen, heaven is a literal place. Don't let anyone tell you that it's a state of illusion, a concept, a philosophical abstract of the mind. We believe in a literal heaven, this preacher, this church, because we believe in the literal Word of God. Paul the Apostle said in 2 Corinthians, As it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered in the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. Heaven is real. Heaven's a literal place. You heard about the truck driver that rolled his truck over on the expressway. 
When they came to help him and give him medical assistance, he began boxing them like a fighter, struggling. They had to inject him with a tranquilizer. They had to put him to sleep because he was struggling so much. Later on, when he regained consciousness, they asked him, why were you fighting us off when we were trying to, to, to help you? He said, the first thing that happened when I opened my eyes, I was lying on a chunk of concrete, and all I could see was this flashing gas station sign, a shell gas station sign, and somebody was standing in front of the S. Tell the young people they didn't get it. <laughs> we believe in a literal hell as well as a literal heaven. Though more than 60% of the clergy today do not believe in the existence of hell because they subscribe to the notion that a loving God would send no one to hell. I want to remind you, God sends no one to hell. Hell was prepared for the devil and his demons. Hell is a self-chosen place. You go to hell because you choose to rebel and reject God's provision of salvation. You choose to put yourself into league with Satan and his demons. And so God is forced to allow you to go to hell. We believe in hell because we believe in the literal Word of God. If you do not believe in the existence of hell, your debate is not with me, but with the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who taught more about hell than He did heaven. Jesus said in Matthew, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized and shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. That was Mark 16. In Matthew 25, then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And again, Jesus said, Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The cross. My main reason for believing the existence of hell is the cross. The cross of Calvary. I could understand if God had sent an angel. I could understand if salvation was merely a philosophical concept. But God sent His best. God sent His only Son to die a sadistic, tortuous death on the cross. Why? The stakes were so high. Your eternal destination and habitation were at such a high price that God had to send His own Son to die for you. You still don't get it. Jesus did not die on the cross just to save us from our sins. Jesus died on the cross to save us from hell. To save us from hell. To save us from hell. You and I have been redeemed from the highway to hell to the glory of heaven. <laughs> Not because of who we are, but because of who He is. My Savior, my Redeemer, my only hope, my only Lord. Death for the unrighteous is a nightmare. If you choose to go to hell, the first thing that will greet you will be ravenous demons dragging you to hell.
The first thing that you see when you open your eyes in death will be hungry, slavering demons. But if you die as a Christian, if you die in Christ, if you've had a loved one that has already passed, I want you to know that the first thing that they saw when they opened up their eyes in death was being embraced by loving angels who will escort you into the joys of heaven. Hallelujah. 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 Yes. Write it down with me. Jesus reveals that both those in heaven and hell as being fully conscious the JWs, the Jehovah Witnesses, the cults, the false religions, they will try to teach you that there is no hell, that there is merely annihilationism. The Jehovah Witnesses teach that you move into non-existence, that you move into oblivion, that there is no hell, only annihilationism. Other false religions would like to teach soul sleep. That if you miss heaven, you just sleep in an unconscious state for all of eternity. Do we see the rich man in hell unconscious? Not whatsoever. He is fully conscious. He is fully aware of his surroundings. He is fully sensitized to his torment. He is fully able to cry out in Luke 16.24. Turn there to Luke 16.24 on the slide, please. Luke 16.24. Luke 16.24 on the slide, please. Father Abraham, have mercy on me. People in hell are conscious. They know who they are. They know where they are. They know that they're sinners without a Savior in hell. Write it down if you would. Heaven, heaven though, offers a new resurrection body. Glory to God. Listen, you won't be floating throughout eternity like Casper the Friendly Ghost. You're not going to be some vapor or pulsating light in heaven. You're going to have a body that can be touched, that can be felt. I don't know what age you're going to be. Some people believe the perfect age. Some people preach and teach age 25. We're not told. What we are told, what we know is a fact, is that we'll be exactly, exactly, exactly like the resurrection body of Jesus Christ. Jesus in his resurrection body said, touch me. I'm not a ghost. Ghosts do not have flesh and bones. Jesus said, give me something to eat. That's right. You can eat in heaven. <laughs> now I'm having a spiritual experience. And you'll never, never have to go to Weight Watchers in heaven. In fact, think of it. In heaven. There's no colds. There's no flus. There's no arthritis. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. There's no rheumatitis. Uh, there, there is no ALS. There's no Alzheimer's. There's no dementia. You'll never hear a siren in heaven. You'll never go to a hospital. They're, they're not allowed in heaven. You'll never go to a funeral in heaven. Cemeteries are not allowed. You'll never get old. You'll never get sick. 
We believe and we teach divine healing in this church. In fact, at communion this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive a divine touch from God in your body. But I want you to know, when I pray for healing in the here and now, that is only temporary. That is transient. It's merely a patchwork because God's got a perfect healing. It's called your resurrection body. Hallelujah! A body that'll never know death. It'll never know pain. It'll never know sickness. It'll never know limitations. I'm talking about heaven. Heaven. Write it down, but in hell, despite what the world says, there won't be anyone saying, let's party. Does a rich man sound like he's partying to you? Bible is clear. Hell is a place of everlasting fire. Matthew chapter 25 again. Do you see it there? Into everlasting fire. Bible is clear. Don't come and ask me. Don't call me. Don't email me. I don't know what kind of fire it is that burns forevermore and how they will experience pain. All I know, the Bible is clear, torment, everlasting fire. But I submit to you that the fire is the least of your worries if you go to hell. Write it down in heaven, though. God will remember. God will remember. God will remember every act of ministry done for Him by awarding eternal rewards. But if you go to hell, you'll be eternally forgotten. How can heaven be heaven for all eternity if we know that we have a son, a daughter, a mother, or a father, a loved one in hell. I have an answer to that question. The scripture is clear that God is going to wipe away all tears. Scripture's clear in Isaiah that God will erase our memories in heaven of all that have sinned and all that is sin. God will erase from your memory the very existence of your loved one that is in hell. That means if you choose to go to hell, You'll never receive a letter. You'll never receive a birthday card. No emails, no Twitter, no Facebook will ever come your way. No one will ever knock on your door. No one will ever sit up at night wondering where you are. No phone calls. No texting. You will be utterly forgotten. It will be as though you had never, ever existed. Even God will completely wipe you away from His memory. That's the literal definition of hell. Eternal separation from God. Forgotten. To me, being forgotten as though I was never born is worse than the fires of hell. The Bible portrays, though, heaven 
Oh, would you write it down as the greatest of all adventures? Some of us have been taught that we're going to be these chubby little babies in diapers with these big harps floating around the clouds and that we're going to be in this uh, uh, forever eternal worship service. You know, uh, instead of singing, uh, we exalt thee, we're going to be singing, we're exhausted, you know, as we sing it the hundred millionth time. Bible never teaches that. Bible says that you're going to be in a resurrection body with a resurrection superhuman mind. And time will be no more. If you had all the time at your disposal, what could you do? What would you do in God? I don't know about you, but uh, I want to explore God's universe. I want to explore planets and galaxies. Uh, uh, I don't know about you, but I want to move faster than Captain Kirk on the Starship Enterprise. He could only move at the speed of warp. Uh, I'm going to move at the speed of thought. Faster than beam me up Scotty. Hallelujah. Because that's what the resurrection body of Jesus could do. Amen. I don't know about you, but I always wanted to be a marine biologist. I wanted to learn to play the violin. I wanted to learn to, to sail a sailboat. I'm going to have all the time uh, in eternity to do those things. And, and so will you. The Bible says that we will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. The Bible uh, implies we're going to have opportunity and activity. What did Adam and Eve do before sin came into the world? They tended the garden of, for you landscapers out there, heaven is going to be a joy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. We're going to have responsibility. It's not going to be just sipping lemonade by the poolside and heaven's holiday in for the rest of eternity. Heaven is going to be the greatest adventure of all time and all eternity. Heaven is the final frontier. Be aware of that. The sights and the sounds of, uh, of heaven will blast your very consciousness. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, Paul said this very clearly about heaven. Paul said that eye uh, hath not seen, neither has ear heard, neither has it entered in the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love Him. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go there to prepare a place for you. For you. Heaven. Heaven. Get excited about heaven. We have tried so hard to make heaven here on earth, we've lost sight of heaven in eternity. Do you know that most of the songs about heaven in your hymn book were written during the Great Depression? Because people got their minds off of the here and now and got their minds on what God has prepared for them. I'm convinced that the church would minister more ably. I'm convinced the church would evangelize more powerfully if we'd have a fresh vision of heaven and hell. You with me in this? Let not your heart be troubled. Don't get caught up in the here and now. 
It's temporary. It's transient. <laughs> it's going to here today and gone tomorrow. Heaven means reunions. Has someone passed from your life and you miss them desperately? At any moment, at any moment, you're going to step over that threshold. And there's going to be constant hellos and no more goodbyes. Do you realize that from an astrophysical sense, that for them no time has elapsed whatsoever? That when you enter eternity where time does not exist, it will be as though they had just arrived and you had just arrived? They're not up in heaven right now in this terrible state of, of, of loneliness whatsoever from you. There is no time differential. Heaven, heaven, heaven. What a reunion that will be. But most of all, it's not just my grandparents. It's not just my loved ones that I long to see. Who is it that we long to see? What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Oh, when we look upon His face and see the glory of His grace, yet far worse than the fires of hell, the forgetfulness of hell will be hell's regrets. Would you write that down? Two of the most somber words in the Bible are found in Luke 16.25. I'm convinced they are the most nightmarish words in the Bible. Son, remember. Son, remember. Son, remember. Though everyone has forgotten you. If you choose to go to hell, though everyone has forgotten you, and it's as though you never existed, you will remember throughout all of eternity in hell. You will remember every sermon you ever heard preached. You will remember every church you drove by. You will remember every time you heard the gospel on the radio and on TV. You will remember every scripture verse on every billboard. You will remember every bedtime story your mother shared with you from the Bible. You will remember every time your dad hunkered down and prayed for your lost soul. You will remember and remember and remember every time you rejected the gospel and the pastor said, is there anyone out there that wants to get right with God? And you refused. Though the Holy Spirit of God tugged at your heart and wooed your heart, you rejected. You rebelled. You said, tomorrow I'll get right with God. And what happens? Tomorrow never comes. Tomorrow never comes. It's too late. I want to remind my dear Lakeside family that hell, hell offers no second chance. There's no revolving door in hell. There's no purgatory in hell. 
purgatory is alive from the pit of hell. It's not found in the Word of God. There's no waiting room in hell that's between heaven uh, and hell. Reincarnation is a lie. Coming back in some other life form, it's a deception from the pit. Hell offers no second chance. Hell offers no escape. There's no Alcatraz like hell. The chanting cry that is heard in the legion of the damned is no hope, no hope, no hope. The prayers of 10,000 holy saints can never lift you up out of hell. Once you are in hell, your fate is sealed. Your eternal destiny is sealed. There is no second chance. But today, right now, there's a second chance. God is the author of second chances, but he's not in the second-hand business. You'll never see God uh, on Craigslist when you become born again. You're not some piece of used uh, uh, material or item. You are made brand new. You're born again. You're a blood-bought, Bible-believing, hallelujah, demon-fighting soldier of the cross. Amen. Made brand new. Because if anyone is in Christ Jesus, they are a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things become brand new. There it is. That's why Paul writes, today is the day of salvation. Now is the sec accepted time. That word is of the Lord is for somebody here this morning. You're not right with God. You're not where you should be. You're not sure that heaven is your home right now at this moment. This is your opportunity. Get right with God. Don't wait for a deathbed. A deathbed may never come. Today is the day of salvation. The moment you were born again and became a follower of Jesus Christ, God planted in your spirit a homing instinct for heaven. Would you write that down? A homing instinct. Have you ever watched, have you ever watched pigeons Homing pigeons? I, I, I've been at funerals where they have released white pigeons, homing pigeons, as a sign, as a symbol of that spirit leaving the body and going home. Those homing pigeons always find their way home by their homing instinct. The moment you were born again, God planted a homing instinct in you for higher ground. I don't know about you, but I get sick and tired of living in a world where a million and a half unborn children are aborted on an annual basis, murdered, many of them out of the sake of pure convenience. 
I don't know about you, but I get tired of seeing my grandchildren and my children raised in an X-rated world where perversion rules, uh, where crime and violence rule. I don't know about you, but there is that within me that resonates uh, for higher ground, uh, for a place where the angels sing. Uh, I want to soar where the angels soar. I want to see that mansion just over the, the hilltop. I want to walk Walk with Jesus on streets of gold. I long to be in heaven, home where I belong. How about you? How about you? This is what God has prepared for the saints. Again, eye hath not seen, neither is ear heard, neither is it entered in the heart of man. What God hath prepared for them that love Him. This is the word of the Lord. But I have to be honest with you here this morning. If I'm a true preacher and a teacher of God's Word, i got to be honest with you this morning. When Jesus taught us, based on what I believe is a true account, not a parable. Parables don't have proper names. Everything about this account goes against the grain of the usual structural format of parables. I believe that the rich man and Lazarus is history. When Jesus gave the true account of the rich man and Lazarus, his main point, his main purpose was not to teach us about heaven and hell. Not his purpose at all. They are secondary. They are a backdrop to the point he's trying to make. What was the main point, the shocking point that Jesus gave? You'll know that in most of my jokes that I share, I like to have a little punchline at the end. An aha. That's what Jesus has in this true account. And you miss it if you're not taught accurately from the pulpit. That's so why I, I want my congregation to always be a spiritually mature congregation. My lakeside family. What was Jesus' main point? The clue is found when you understand and become keenly aware of who his main audience was. Who was he speaking to? Who was his target audience? Any idea? Very good, John. Fill in the blank. Jesus' target audience with the rich man and Lazarus were not the unrighteous. He wasn't talking to sinners. He was talking to the religious. How do I know? The whole chapter is devoted to Jesus preaching at the Pharisees. How do I know this? Look at Luke 16, verse 13. Jesus says to the Pharisees, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Verse 14. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were doing what at Jesus? Sneering it. Jesus wouldn't make it today as a TV evangelist. Jesus was not a people pleaser. I'm not saying all TV evangelists are, but a lot of them are. 
They know if they preach in certain things, the money stops flowing in. We're here to give you the whole loaf and not just a slice. Same with Jesus. Jesus was stepping on some major toes right here. These were the powerful. These were the, the, the decision makers. These were the movers and the shakers in Jewish society. And Jesus directs the rich man and Lazarus right at them. Why? Because they believed and they taught that if you had money and lots of it, it was a sign of God's favor, a sign of God's approval. It was a sign that you were righteous. And if you're poor, it's a sign that you're unrighteous. They were so absorbed by money, it was their whole focus. They were hypocrites. There were needs and hurting people all around them. And they were completely focused on me, myself, and I. And Jesus hit them square between the eyes with a true account of the rich man and Lazarus. Now what was the shocking point that Jesus delivered? Hmm? Here it is. Why did the rich man end up in hell? Why did the rich man end up in hell? Does the Bible say he was a sinner? No. You'll never read it there in Jesus' true account. The Bible never, Jesus never says that he was unrighteous. Why did he end up in hell? Is it because God's against money? Is it because God's against uh, people with money, people with success and prosperity? Is that why he ended up in hell? Why did the rich man end up in hell? Mark it down, engrave it in your heart. This is the main point of my message this morning. main point of my message was not to teach you about heaven and hell. The main point of my message is this. The rich man ended up in hell because he ignored the desperate need that was right at his front door. He neglected it. He ignored it. Lazarus is at his front door with open sores eating the crumbs off of the rich man's table. And the rich man could have cared less. Lakeside Assembly of God, let me say this morning very succinctly and to the point, I am so proud to be your pastor. Do you know how rare we are as a church? What am I talking about? We involve time, effort, and money four times a year with big gives. We reach out to unwed mothers. We reach out to people that are having their first place of residence after being in a homeless shelter, and we provide them with almost everything. We reach out to kids going back to school, and we'll do so in August. We reach out at Christmas time to those that would not have a Christmas. But there's more. We're involved in McCrest. We're involved in, in Edge of Eternity and, 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 and the Gospel according to Scrooge. We're, we're reaching out to the world with evangelism and outreach and spiritual ministry. Every week, uh, Kevin and Yvonne Callahan faithfully lead a ministry called, called Impact. And we're making an impact one by one by one in our county, bringing groceries and bringing household furniture. I watched Kevin Wednesday night going out with a trailer. Loaded with furniture. 
We do this in the name of Jesus, and there's more. We support missions and ministries around the world, more than 200 projects, missionaries and, and, and ministries. We're going to the Dominican Republic, and there's still room for you to sign up on a missions trip with Terry Denmark for the glory of God. Why? We care about the hurting. We care about the needy. But I'm here to tell you this morning, there's so much more. There's so much more. There's so much more that you and I can do on a daily basis. Write it down if you would. Learn to live to give. Live to give. Live to give. When Jesus cited the name of Abraham, that was not accidental. What does the Bible say about Abraham? God said in Genesis chapter 12, He said this to Abraham, I will bless you with abundant increase of favors. And make your name famous and distinguished. Now say these last words with me. Say it out loud. And you will be a blessing. There it is. But we often pray, oh God, bless me. Bless me. Give me a blessing. God wants you to pray, make me a blessing. Oh God, bring somebody across my pathway today. Bring some. If you wake up every morning, Lord, who are you going to use me with today that I can be a blessing to? I guarantee you a more fulfilled, contented, joy-filled life than you can contain. God, make me a blessing. Make me a blessing. I want you to notice that God doesn't prosper us to feed our need, our greeds. God doesn't prosper us to feed our selfish desires. If He did, He knows that that would be self-destructive. Unless we're willing to be a blessing, God won't pour out His favor and His goodness in our lives. There is a major spiritual principle that flows throughout this book. What you sow is what you will reap. When a farmer plants corn seeds... What is he expecting? Barley? Wheat? Huh? Tangerines? What's he expecting? Corn! The sowing and reaping principle is probably one of the most powerful spiritual principles within the Word of God, and it's so much more than money. I want you to get that in your head. Start sowing some seeds into people's lives so that God can bring you a harvest. When we meet other people's needs, God always meets our needs. If you're generous to people, God is going to be generous to you. When you make happen the lives of others, God will make happen in your life. You might be sitting back this morning and say, but pastor, if I had more money, I'd give more. Pastor, as soon as I get over some of my own problems, first, one of the best things that you can do to solve your problems, if you're dealing with problems right now, help solve somebody else's problem. Watch what God will supernaturally do in your situation. If you want your dreams to come to pass, help somebody else have their dreams come to pass. Start right where you're at. Be faithful with what God has given you. Whatsoever you find in your hand, do it with all of your might. Then God will trust you with more. He who is faithful in the little things will be faithful in much, the Bible says. 
What's the closest thing to the heart of God? His hurting children. His needy children. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Matthew chapter 10. If you even give as much as a cup of water to somebody in need, I see it, and I'm going to reward you. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. You see, the miraculous takes place when you are a giver, when you live to give. Hear ye the word of the Lord. When you feed the hungry, when you clothe the naked, when you encourage the oppressed, then your life is going to break forth like the dawn. Then your healing is going to quickly come. If you want a happy life, reach out and be a blessing. But I've got nothing to give, Pastor. Sure you do. Visit a nursing home. Visit the children's hospital. Be a blessing to somebody. Bring a meal to a shut-in. Shovel a walk uh, in the winter time. If some of you are looking to be a blessing, if you love to mow grass, I have some elderly people in the church that want to keep their homes. And you can be a blessing too. And they can't keep up with their yards. And they're all alone. In the name of Jesus, you can be a blessing. If just a cup of water, I see it. Live to give. Be generous with your greetings. Be generous with your compliments. I'm not talking about flattery. I'm talking about encouragement. Be generous with your smile, your hugs. Live to give. Find somebody to pray for. Find somebody to exhort. Find somebody to comfort. Uh, sow some seeds so that God can bring you a mighty harvest. Some of us easily go to the soup kitchens, but we forget those that are right at our front door. Who's at your front door? Who's at your front door? You got it. You're probably sitting next to them right now. If I had a dime for every wife that has come into counseling with your pastor and has said, I have not heard my husband say I love you for more than 10 years. If I could only have that arm come around me. If I could only have an affectionate word, an affectionate embrace. If I had a dime for every man that has sit down with me and said, my family doesn't care. I work so hard, and I never thanked once for being a provider. I get no respect. Who's at your front door? Is there a child at your front door? When was the last time you said, I thank the Lord that you were born into our family. I love you so much. Who's at your front door? 
Sometimes, sometimes, we sometimes think that the greatest need is downtown Detroit or halfway across the world where it's right at our front door. Live to give and watch what God will do. Sow some seed and watch the harvest that will move into your life. For you have a last blank to fill out. What's the answer? Who's been the greatest giver of all? Your heavenly Father, for God so loved the world. That's you and I. That He gave. His only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in Him should not, what? What does that perish mean? No, it means far more than dying. What does that perish mean? It means hell. We celebrate, we remember a Savior here this morning that not only saved us from our sins, but saved you and I from hell. It might not hit you. It might not. The realization become boldly aware to your mind and your spirit this morning. But when you get to heaven and you look down at the hell, the lake of fire that Jesus saved you from, it's no wonder you're going to shout out, Worthy is the Lamb! Hallelujah! And the Bible says it'll be like Niagara Falls. The roar of the people crying out, Hallelujah! Worthy is the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. How about it? Are you ready to take communion? The Bible says that before we take partake of this supper, let everyone examine themselves. The Bible says that if anyone partakes of this holy, sacred meal unworthily, you drink spiritual damnation into your soul. And you bring sickness to the body. Paul says that's even why some people die in the church. Because of partaking of this supper in an unworthy manner. How can you take of this supper in a worthy manner? Know that you know that you know you're right with God. And you're on your way to heaven. Know that you know that you know your sins have been washed away. And Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior. That you have submitted your life to Jesus. How about it? Isn't it time you say yes to Jesus? Father, His heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. And we prepare to take, partake of Holy Communion. Lord, I ask that Your Spirit would come and knock heavily upon heart's doors. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I am prepared this morning to pray the prayer of salvation. It's a prayer that will make you right with God and give you a home in heaven. But it's up to you to choose to be included in this prayer. If you're not sure you're right with God and you want to be sure, if you're not sure you have a home in heaven and you want to be certain of that, then be included in this prayer. 
How many, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, no one is looking around, how many would lift up their hand and say, Pastor, include me in your prayer. I, I want to be right with God. I want to know I'm going to heaven. I want to take communion. God bless you. God bless you, buddy. I see that hand. How many more? How many more? Lift it up high that I can see it. How many more? I'm looking up in the balcony. Yes, God bless you. I see that hand. Yes. Thank you. How many more? Precious Jesus. Yes. In the back, I see that hand. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, sir. Yes. God bless you. Five hands lifted for Jesus. God bless you. How many more? Christians are praying. The Holy Spirit is knocking upon hearts. Don't wait till it's too late. Today is the day of salvation. Precious Jesus, five hands, five souls that want to be included in this prayer. Everyone, get ready to pray. For you that lifted up your hands, I want you to pray. I want you to repeat after me what I'm about to pray. Everyone, pray this prayer out loud along with them. This morning, for you that lifted up your hands, put your heart into what you're about to pray. Are you ready? Dear Jesus, I come to you right now, and I confess I'm a sinner, but Jesus, you're my Savior. Save me from my sins. Save me from hell. I believe you died for me, and I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. A new life. A changed life. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. For giving me new life. For a home in heaven. I thank you, Jesus, that I am saved. In the name of Jesus, I receive this as I believe it. Amen.